Hello and welcome back to the Be Well Together podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Bowen, and I'm the Director of Employee Engagement Programs at Salesforce. In this weekly series, we bring in luminary speakers and well-being experts to provide insights and tips related to all aspects of mental, physical, and social well-being to help you thrive at work and at home. Today's topic is one I know we're all familiar with at this point, Zoom fatigue. I know I've certainly experienced it, but why does Zooming exhaust us so much and why do meetings leave us feeling more depleted now than they did pre-pandemic? In this conversation, host Jeffrey Wang, Senior Manager of Employee Engagement and Events here at Salesforce, chatted with Jeremy Balenson to help answer these questions. Jeremy's a professor of communication at Stanford University. When he had his own experiences with Zoom fatigue, he began studying the effects of video meetings on the world, and his findings are eye-opening. Today, he shares some of his key takeaways from his research, exploring topics like nonverbal causes of Zoom fatigue and why having an all-day mirror is so exhausting for our brains. Plus, he provides tips and tricks for helping combat the negative effects of video meetings so we can all avoid becoming Zoombies. Enjoy this enlightening conversation with Jeffrey and our guest, Jeremy Balenson. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Be Well Together. What a great show we have for you today. I am so excited. But first, you may have noticed by now, I'm not Jody Koner. I'm Jeffrey Huang, and I'll be filling in for Jody today. I'm a senior manager on the employee engagement and events team, and my team helps connect employees, whether they're working in an office or from the home office, with Salesforce's culture and values, and to each other. I'm so excited about today's Be Well Together speaker because today's show feels like it's been a long time coming. What you'll learn today is vitally important for all of us living and working in a virtual world. How many times in the last year after a day of virtual meetings via Google Meet, Zoom, WebEx, have you found yourself to be completely exhausted? And I'm not just talking about the eye strain, but a sort of internal psychological brain drain. It is my great pleasure to introduce Jeremy Balenson, and Jeremy holds a PhD in uh, cognitive psychology and is currently a professor of communication at Stanford University. He studies the psychology of virtual and augmented reality, and in particular, how these experiences lead to changes in perceptions of ourselves and others. Jeremy is the founding director of the Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab, a cutting-edge research center on human behavior in immersive environments, and how virtual experiences can transform education, environmental conservation, empathy, and health. Today, Jeremy's going to help us combat Zoom fatigue and burnout and share some of his latest research about how the way we work impacts our social interactions and emotional well-being. So Jeremy, off to you. Jeffrey, thanks so much for having me and uh, appreciate that kind introduction. It's it's just, it's really special to be able to talk to so many people at Salesforce and, and to help you think about how to use this medium for well-being, how to balance the, the need to be together work-wise, but also to try to avoid this type of fatigue. So, you know, as professors, we rarely get to speak to directly to such a large and, and amazing group. So, so really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so my name is Jeremy, and um, as, as Jeffrey pointed out, I study virtual communication. And what I'm showing you here in this slide is a screenshot of my calendar in March 2020. And it was the first week of shelter in place for us here in California. And I'd just gone four days from 8 a.m. till about 6 p.m. 
on Zoom nonstop without any breaks, all video all day long. It was Friday morning and I got a call from a, or I got an email from a BBC reporter and she asked to interview me about something. And um, she asked for a Zoom meeting. And about halfway through the call with the reporter, I asked her, I said, Emily, why are we doing this over Zoom? I've been doing BBC interviews for, for 20 years and, and we've never had to do video in order for you to get a simple quote for me before. And then, and about halfway through that call, I started really thinking about the medium and how fatigued I was and, and why it was all occurring. And so that night, that Friday night, I wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it came out a few days later, and it was the first article that really talked about why it is that Zoom meetings and other video conference meetings exhaust us. And look, all meetings are tiring. You're, you're with other people and you're working hard, but there's something in particular about being on video all day that causes us a different type of fatigue. And uh, in writing this article, two things emerged. One is it really had me think about what are the features of this medium? What are the nonverbal aspects of it that, that are different from a face-to-face meeting that are fatiguing? Uh, the other thing is uh, when doing research for the article, you know, I study communication, including video conferencing, and I was aware of 20 or 30 studies that had been done I expected that when I really took a deep dive on this literature, that there was going to be hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of experiments on on video conferencing and psychology, because it's an old medium. We've had it around for a while. And I was stunned to find out that there really hasn't been much research. There's only been, you know, about 30-ish studies that I would call rigorous that have examined what happens to the mind and to well-being when you look at a video conference. And so uh, what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk about the nonverbal causes of Zoom fatigue. we're going to talk about some data that we've collected along the way. I mean, the key thing about this Friday in March is that once I realized that this medium was here to stay and that there'd been so little work on it previously, I decided to sprint, meaning um, I took our lab's resources. We have about 30 amazing scholars here. And I would say about a third of our efforts now are dedicated to understanding Zoom fatigue, running studies, building better interfaces to try to maintain this amazing thing, which is virtual communication, right? I mean, we don't have to commute anymore. We get to stay in our homes and be with our families. And and, and that's a wonderful thing, but there's gotta be ways to build a medium that doesn't fatigue us. So the metaphor, when any professor teaches about nonverbal behavior, we think a lot about the elevator. And the elevator is a really neat medium, because uh, a physical medium, because in an elevator, people violate your personal space. They are forced, because of the small space, to get very, very close to you, to a, a space that a stranger, you would never allow a stranger to get that close to you in a different context. Humans have evolved, uh, we're very adaptive to media, and what do you do in an elevator? You look down, you look at your phone, you stare at the ceiling. What you do is you use your eye gaze to compensate for this very close personal space. And there's been 60 years worth of research in psychology examining the way that nonverbal behaviors trade off with one another. So we will use gaze to compensate for distance. If somebody gets too close to us, we'll look away. Or if somebody's staring at us, we'll step back. And uh, the elevator is a great way to think about nonverbal behavior. Now, uh, in the last 20 years, I've run lots of research that shows that when somebody gets very close to you in the real world, we've known for a long time that that's arousing, that it causes your flight or your fight or flight reflex uh, to get activated. And physiologically, it causes you to get get aroused. 
what I've studied for the last 20 years or so is that even if you're looking at video or virtual reality, virtual humans cause the same pattern uh, of arousal as physical ones do. In fact, um, my day job, in addition to studying video conferencing, I study goggle-based virtual reality. And one of the best applications of virtual reality is using it to teach about social anxiety. For example, teaching someone to be a better public speaker. And we know physiologically that whether it's video or VR goggles, when you see a face in VR and is close to you and staring at you, this causes arousal. Now, here are two types of meetings. On the left panel, you can see uh, a conference where people are sitting around the table uh, physically, and on the right, you can see a Zoom meeting. What I want you to look at on the left panel is you can see a speaker and you can see lots of people listening. And this is a fairly typical photo. One of the things I've been doing for the past year is collecting photos of meetings and doing computer vision uh, and other coding to figure out how much mutual gaze there is. Even the speaker is only receiving gaze from about half of the people in the room. So the speaker, people look at the speaker, but they don't do it all the time. They don't stare at him for you know, the entire hour. They look at their notes, they look at the wall, their eyes tend to waver. Now, the other thing to think about, the speaker only gets gaze for portion at the time, but if you look at that image, no one is looking at other listeners. In other words, look at the man in the striped shirt or the person in the plaid shirt right there at the front of the image, no one else is looking at them. And why would they? Because they're not speaking, they're just uh, passive participants. Now look at the image on the right. It's the typical video conference grid. The first thing to note here is that all those faces are staring at you all the time. So even the speaker in the panel on the left doesn't get stared at all the time. Everyone in a video conference is receiving the direct eye gaze of all the people all the time. Now, this is, you know, when you take a step back and think about this, this is a mind blowing thing. Though, if you're on a Zoom call and you're listening, your job is to be an audience member, you're getting the same pattern of faces and eye gaze that a speaker would. So when you're a speaker, you know, you kind of expect attention and scrutiny, but you don't expect that as a listener. On a Zoom call in these grids, you have all these faces staring at you during the entire time, even when you're not speaking. Uh, a nice way to think about this, imagine you're back in that elevator and now all of those eyes are on you for the entire time. It's as if everyone in the elevator slowly turned their bodies and they're very close to you and they're staring at you. But the elevator ride, it's not just for a minute, it lasts an hour and maybe for some of us, eight hours a day of just getting constant gaze from faces that are fairly large. And this is uh, when we talk about the reasons for Zoom fatigue, the first is that gaze is arousing and we're getting smothered with all this eye gaze that you would never get in the real world. So that was the first reason I call it hypergaze. The second reason for Zoom fatigue is seeing yourself in a mirror. So here's a screenshot of a meeting I had recently. There's four of us in my lab uh, at this meeting. And you can see that in a normal meeting, I my own mirror image, my own real-time video is there. So when I start a meeting, the default on Zoom and with WebEx and Teams, you actually can't get rid of it, is to show you a real-time image of yourself. Now, I'll pose a hypothetical situation for you. Imagine you're at work and physically at work and you're doing things. You're talking to people, you're looking at spreadsheets, you're lifting boxes, you're having difficult conversations. And throughout a nine-hour day, there was a person and that person's job was to follow you around with a handheld mirror. And no matter what you did, put that mirror in your face so that you were forced to look at your reflection all day long for everything you did for a nine hour long workday. 
And you would never stand for this in the real world, right? This is that that is an utterly unacceptable thing to be looking in a mirror all day long. Yet for some reason, the default setting on these video platforms is to show you yourself all day long. And this is unlike, you know, I, I teach this, I teach about the history of media at Stanford. I teach our class on what's called media effects. There's never been anything like this in the history of humans in which you're forced to stare at yourself in a mirror all day long. Why is this important? Since the 1970s, psychologists have studied what happens when you put a mirror in the room or when you show someone a real-time video feed of their own face, um, starting in the early 1970s. When you put a mirror in the room or a video feed, people look at it. They look at it a lot. And when they look at it, they scrutinize themselves. They judge themselves. So if there is a mirror in the room, you look at it and you judge yourself. You think about your appearance. You, you're reminded of something you did yesterday but could have done better. And uh, what dozens of studies have shown since that early 1970s first study was this leads to stress. It leads to negative affect. In other words, when there's a mirror or a real-time video, we're staring at ourselves constantly, and this causes us to judge ourselves, and it leads to negative affect. And uh, uh, of all the design decisions which boggle the mind, why are we doing this? The idea of seeing a real-time mirror all day long is just one that should be changed. The next factor that contributes to Zoom fatigue is the cognitive load based on sending gestures. So when we talk about communication uh, in academia, we talk about sending gestures, that is making them so others see them. And we talk about receiving gestures, that is noticing the, the nonverbal communication that others make. On the sending side, the beautiful thing about nonverbal communication in the real world is that it's natural. I don't have to think about who I'm going to look at or how I'm going to smile or how I signal agreement or turn taking. It just happens naturally. It's done with the back of your brain. It's called an automatic process and automatic processes are efficient. They don't require lots of effort. Now, if we want to send a gesture, we do things like the long, slow head nod to single attention, or we put our thumbs up for a while. And what we've done is we've taken a process that was efficient and easy, and we've made it deliberate and intentional and hard. And this causes, by definition, cognitive load causes us to get tired. Simply by making gestures, we're tiring ourselves out. There's also cognitive load associated with receiving gestures. So this is a grid of four people, and I want you to look at the bottom panel. Everyone who looks at the bottom panel your brain automatically interprets these gestures. Um, these two people are looking at one another. And why are they looking at one another? Maybe uh, they have a special connection. Maybe I should be looking at one of them too because they're the focus of attention. We automatically interpret these gestures. But um, those uh, who are watching right now have probably figured out that if you do the math here, what's happening is they're not even looking on the screen. They're looking away from their computer. They're looking at somebody who walked in the room or at uh, out the window. Yet our brains interpret them as having some kind of a gesture that is shared. And the problem with doing this all day long is that you can't turn off the part of your brain that reads into the making of gestures. And these gestures are perceptually realistic, meaning they look just like the ones you see in the real world, but they're socially meaningless. In other words, it looks like a real gesture, but it's not diagnostic of what the person is thinking or what the group behavior is. And so we're reading too much into things that don't exist. 
For those of us working at home, this 15% number is going to resonate. There has been a study from 2019, when you're on a video call, you speak 15% louder than you do in a face-to-face meeting. Um, and we've all had our relatives and heard them and we've spoken too loud. I'm certainly speaking louder than normally right now. And think about that by definition, all day long, you're speaking 15% louder. This is tiring. By definition, I'm raising my voice, um, which causes us to be tired at the end of the day. So the three reasons we talked about hypergaze, seeing yourself in cognitive load. The final reason non-verbally for fatigue is being trapped and underperforming because you're trapped. And this triangle shape that you see is called a frustrum. A frustrum is the field of view of the camera. So if you're close up, if you wanna stay in the field of view, you can't really move much. If you go farther back, you can move a bit. And in a normal face-to-face meeting, we pace, we get up and stretch, we go to the water cooler, even when we don't want water because we just felt like taking a walk. While we do all that, we're still paying attention to the speaker. We'll look back and nod, uh, but we'll doodle. We'll go to the whiteboard. We we do stuff. Um, in a Zoom meeting, because the culture is to stay in the center of the camera, we don't move. And this causes us to be fatigued. It also causes us to underperform. So I, there's a Stanford, a very famous Stanford study from the School of Education. When you're walking around and you're working, you're more creative than when you're forced to sit still. So this being stuck in this camera frustrum, not only does it cause us to be fatigue, but it actually affects our performance and our creativity when we're doing tasks. Okay, so we talked about the four theoretical reasons for why non-verbally Zoom meetings are different than face-to-face ones. Now I want to talk about some data. So for a year, we've been building what we call the ZEF scale. This is a measurement tool to understand fatigue better. And after a year's worth of what's called psychometrics, which is developing a questionnaire, we've come up with a nice, clean 15-item questionnaire that has five sub-genres of fatigue. You can be physically fatigued. My eyes hurt. You can be socially fatigued. I don't want to be around other people. You can be emotionally fatigued. I feel sad. You can be motivationally fatigued. I don't want to do anything anymore. Or you can be generally fatigued. I need to take a nap. And what we've found is that there are these five separate types of fatigue, and we've built a scale to measure it. Uh, We put this scale out for the public to do, and we now have over 20,000 people who have responded and filled out this questionnaire. One of the findings um, is a fairly robust one, meaning every time we look at a data set, and even when other groups now look at data sets that this finding replicates, and that is that women are more fatigued than men. Women are more fatigued than men. So if you look at this distribution, it goes from one to five on the x-axis, and that's the one is the lowest point in the scale and five is the highest. And you can see that in general, the midpoint of these curves are right around three, which is people are fatigued. And there's a bunch of people who are to the right side of that, meaning they are very highly fatigued uh, and extremely fatigued. Uh, This effect unfortunately occurs more for women than men. We can talk more about that uh, in the question and answer uh, period. Um, But one thing I'll say now, when you look at the meeting pattern of of women, women tend to take longer meetings. So there's this subgenre of types of meetings, which is longer than 60 minutes. Women are much more likely to have these really long meetings than men. And women take shorter breaks between meetings. And so uh, women often don't have not even 15 minutes between their meetings, while men have a higher percentage of hour-long breaks between meetings. And um, now, even when you take into account this statistical pattern of the types of meetings, women still show more fatigue than men. So it's not just about the meeting. There's something about the medium itself. So 
my work is not meant to complain about the medium. I love Zoom. I use it constantly. I'm an environmentalist, so I, I truly believe in remote work. I want this notion of the nine to five commute to go away. Uh, we don't all need to be in the same place to work on computers. But what can you do about Zoom fatigue? And the first recommendation I'm going to give you is, is shrinking the window. And this is one I'm embarrassed to say. I didn't figure this one out until about three or four months ago, even though I've been working on, on this project for over a year. If you go to the top right corner of your Zoom window, you'll see an X, a couple of boxes, and a dash. If you click on the couple of boxes, it takes the Zoom window from full screen and it shrinks it the same way you would do for any other application. However, we don't think about that with video conferencing. And I, what I do now is I take my Zoom meetings typically about at one third of the actual window. In other words, why do you need some to see someone's faces on a Zoom call? Well, you want to know if they raise their hand. You want to see if they're doing some extreme gesture, but you don't need to see the pores on their nose. And so I like to minimize these screens to make them fairly small. So that's one that I promise you, you're going to feel better, especially in these one-on-one -on -one meetings where the faces are very big. If you shrink the window, you're going to feel better after, after a day's work. The second one um, is called hide the self view. And if you're on Zoom, if you right-click your window, your the window of yourself, that real-time video feed, if you right-click it, there's an option called hide self-view. And I, what I want all of you to do is tomorrow on your next Zoom meeting, right-click it and do that. In this manner, others will see the video of you, but you're not forced to stare at yourself all day. So this alleviates what we spoke about earlier, which is being forced to stare at yourself image all the time. Now, if you're using Teams or WebEx, unfortunately, there is no option to hide the self-view. And for that, I actually recommend using stickies, just sticking it on the page and, and covering that self-window. Now, this is going to be hard for you. It was hard for me initially. Uh, we've all had a crutch for the last year, which is we don't have this in the real world. You get to practice your gestures and see what your smile looks like and make sure there's no spinach in your teeth from lunch, but it's fatiguing us. And so it's going to take a day or two to get used to, but you'll never go back. If you can outlast that initial shock, I promise you, you're going to feel better at the end of the week. The third reason uh, thing to do is to, to just say no. And, and Pre-COVID, we got a lot of work done with phone meetings. The phone has worked as a communication medium for quite some time. And, you know, we don't, just because you can have video doesn't mean you have to. Now, the final recommendation I have for you is to tinker. And what do I mean by that? If you went to a physical meeting, it was an important one. You were presenting to your group. You would really think about where you stood how you set up your chair, how you looked to others, you know, who you looked at, how you spoke, how you gestured. And it's striking that we don't do the same for our Zoom setup. And so what can you control in your Zoom setup? Well, get an external camera and maybe put it farther back from the screen so that you have more freedom to move around. Or get an external keyboard that pushes you back from the computer so your face isn't so close to, to, to that monitor. Play around with lighting uh, so that you know you kind of like how you look and you like how it feels uh, in the room. Uh, I found that the camera angle is really important. And sometimes you have to put a couple books underneath your laptop or to, to put it up on a, on a bit of a shelf. Um, think about if you want a spinny chair or one that's firm. If you spend 30 minutes tinkering with your system, then you never have to do it again. I promise you, it's just going to feel better knowing that you've got that confidence and, and knowing that it feels good to you. Um, so spend that 30 minutes tinkering. And um, look, I could you, you get my energy here. I'm, I'm super excited to be talking to you guys about this. I could I could go on for a while, but I'm super excited, Jeffrey, to, to talk with you and to hear your questions. So uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you, Jeremy. I love hearing about all of this research. And as you were talking, there were things that I noticed that 
I, you know, I didn't even notice that it was contributing to my Zoom fatigue. Like the fact that when I'm at my standing desk and I and I see my face in the little selfie, which I have on all the time, by the way, I'm totally one of those people, but I'm like the perfectionist is me is that I'm like, I have to be in the center. And if I shift my weight because it's more comfortable to be to my left or be to my, my right, I know that I'm like, oh wait, my head's not in the center. I need to, I need to get back over here. And it's like my, I, I try to hold my body in this position as long as I can. Right. So I'm in the center. But think about that. The, 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 the very essence of self-evaluation is happening constantly. Like self-reflection yeah. is amazing and we should all do it, but not all day long. Totally. And then it's like, and compare that to when you're in a room with someone else and you're sitting in your chair and you're rocking in your chair, you're moving around a little bit more. You're like shifting from one hand to the other on the table. It's so much more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you probably get the sense from from this half hour with me that I'm not one that sits still well. I really like to move around and it's hard. You have to work to just stay in centered in that. Yeah, definitely. So one question I have for you is now that we've heard all of this and, and as a manager, as a people manager, as a team leader, as someone else who's maybe running a meeting, what can we do to you know recognize and respect that each person has their own comfort level that we're all dealing with these things, you know, in every meeting, how can we support the spectrum of individual needs? Yeah. Yeah. So I love that question. I'll tell you a story. Uh, when I first started doing this work, I was at lab meeting and I, and I said to people, I said, Hey guys, what's the big deal? Just turn your cameras off. And they said, Jeremy, you're the boss. You get to turn off the camera wherever you want. We, in addition to your meetings, have all these other meetings and we don't have that flexibility. And, and that really resonated with me, which is if, if we're bosses, we probably don't understand the amount and the duration of the video meetings that our employees have. And so my advice to managers is take a look at your meeting schedule. And I think there's two buckets of meetings. There's one bucket in which, you know, you really need to see people's faces. It's, it's an important meeting that, you know, you need to read the room. You need to feel that social connection. And for those meetings, you know, the video should be on. And, and, you know, obviously if somebody wants to hop off for a minute, that's totally fine. But for those meetings, you need to have the video because it's important. However, I truly believe that that's a small proportion of meetings. For example, if we're doing one of my favorite things about Zoom is the screen share function. I found that to be life-changing. It's awesome. It really helps me be productive. Maybe for those meetings, we don't need to see other people's faces because we're focused on the work itself. And, and uh, for managers, what I recommend, and for that subset of meetings where you figured out you don't need faces, what you need to do is you need to make video not optional. In other words, you can't say you're allowed to turn your video off if you want to, because then employees will feel pressure to, to, to want to have their video on to impress the boss. And so you need to have some subset of videos of meetings where video is not allowed. You still can have Zoom and you can still do screen sharing and chalkboard and all that other great stuff uh, or whatever function of whatever platform you're using. But for that meeting, no one's allowed to put video on. That's a really great suggestion. And, and I'm totally going to make that a thing for some of my team meetings coming up. This, I, that's really great. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. I mean, professors, we do this academic work, but the fact that you're going to change your meetings, that's a, that makes me super happy. I'm going to do it. And my team, you can hold me accountable for this. <laughs> Another question is, you know, with everyone working, you know, after the pandemic, everyone's working virtually now. And I think a lot of people will continue to work virtually and some people have really thrived during this time about, you know, less commute time, working from home, you know, more family time, uh, setting up their home office finally that they've always wanted to set up. But do you have any, you know, suggestions or, or any ideas on what the future of work is going to look like? Maybe there's some people who aren't ready to go back to the in-person. 
we're not going back to how it was, especially you know with the type of work that Salesforce does, because a lot of our work can be done remotely. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Again, if, if, if you go back in history and watch my talks about virtual reality, I'm lobbying because I want to have remote work and I want to get rid of, think about the commute, uh, an hour each way of productivity lost, road rage, uh, germs that you get on the trains when you're cropped together for, I'm not talking about pandemic, I'm talking about colds, things like that. Um, and so I think that mold is broken. When pandemic hit, we all just sprinted into all video conference all the time. And I'm sure Salesforce has been more nuanced than that. But most of my meetings like, okay, we're always going to be on video for these meetings. And I'm a huge fan of remote work. I don't know whether it's going to be, you know, one or two days back at the office, or I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But I do know we have to now, look, we're in survival mode. We're, we're ready to thrive again, right? We can take a deep breath and think about our practices and, you know, how much is going to be asynchronous and how much is going to be on live but not video. And it's time for us to, to think about that and, and to talk to our colleagues and to think about what's the right balance. I mean, the, the other thing I will say, I'm here in Silicon Valley and um, I'm at Stanford and, and given I'm so visible on the Zoom fatigue stuff, I, I get pitched three or four times a week from startups that are coming up with new and cool different ways to do video conference that's less fatiguing. So I'm very optimistic that the tools will also evolve to help us. That's awesome. Are you working with Zoom? Have they you know, asked you for your feedback on their product and self-view and all those things? Yeah. So I try to, every time I talk or write about this, I try to be super thankful to Zoom. I think it's an awesome product. It always works. It's free. I mean, it's it's just... I, I'm, I'm appreciative. We got through the pandemic and largely because of, of Zoom and, and other platforms. So yes, they have reached out. I've spent time talking to their chief product officer about a lot of these recommendations. Their CEO wrote an op-ed three days ago in CNN.com where he first of all, talked about our gender findings and acknowledged those publicly, which I was very happy about. And then he endorsed our hide self-view. So uh, the CEO of Zoom wants you to hide your self-view. Um, so uh, it's not just Professor Jeremy, it's uh, they're, they're on board. So I'm, I, I'm again, I, I, I like their product and I like them as a company. That's great. Hopefully there's no hard feelings about their, their uh, company title being in the word Zoom fatigue. It's not WebEx fatigue or Google Meet fatigue. Yeah, I, I talked about it with them and, you know, they are owning the verb. You know, you Google stuff, you play with a Frisbee and, you know, you Zoom. So true. Yeah. So true. So yeah. true. Well, I know we're running out of time, so I just have one more question. Sure. Um, you mentioned the Zoom exhaustion and fatigue survey that, you know, with, with the findings that looked really interesting. If someone's interested in measuring their own Zoom exhaustion and fatigue, can they take that survey? Can they participate in your further research? Yeah, so not only can they, but it would be helpful to us if you did. It's a free survey. Uh, it takes about seven or eight minutes. Um, you can find it by going to zefscale.com, Z-E-F scale.com or just Googling Zefscale. Um, when you do it, it takes five minutes and you'll get your own Zef score. You'll get it on each of those five dimensions. And that's important because, you know, if you're fatigued because your eyes hurt, it's very different than if you're fatigued because you don't want to be around people. And, the, and the, you know, the decisions we make at both as employees and as employee and as managers, that's going to change depending on, on the type of fatigue. And the cool thing, we now have a sample of about 20,000 people. So we have good sense of the norms. You'll be able to see where you are fatigue-wise compared to others and where you are fatigue-wise on each of those dimensions compared to others. So please do go there. Uh, it would help our research and, and thank you for that. Very cool. Uh, Jeremy, I'm definitely going to go take that survey. That sounds really interesting. I know that we're running out of time, so I just want to say thank you so much. I personally have learned so much today 
And I know our watchers have too. And I think we're all going to be a lot more aware of how we show up on virtual meetings and how to take proactive steps to reduce our own Zoom fatigue. So that said, I hope you'll all join us again for another Be Well Together session. And until then, remember, be happy, be healthy, and be well. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please be sure to leave a rating and review. We also encourage you to share this podcast with friends, family, and anyone you think could use a boost of inspiration. For more Be Well Together goodness, visit salesforce.com plus or click the link in our show notes. Check back here again next week for our episode on pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone with Sarah Williams, the founder of Tough Girl Challenges. <laughs>